On this podcast, we talk to thought leaders about feminine and masculine energy and how it shows up in our business, our parenting, and especially our relationships. We'll dig deep on any and all topics under the sun. Grab a coffee and buckle up. This is the She's the Owner podcast. Hey everybody, it's Kara with the She's the Owner podcast. And today we have a really extra special guest. Derek Robbins um, is joining us uh, to talk about masculine feminine energy. So author, performance coach, speaker. Um, so tell, in case there's some people who live somewhere in the mountains and they don't know about all this world, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got to this journey. And then we'll just organically get into some questions about masculine feminine and kind of see what grows. Sure. So welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Um, in, in, in terms of how I got here, I was driving down a road, took a left. I'm not sure how that landed up here, um, but lots of things unfolded. It's just life. Uh, someone said, you know, thanks for being so amazing or thanks for being perfect. And I started laughing. I was like, perfect. Are you joking? Um, I'm, I've had my moments of being a hot mess throughout life. I had my moments of trying to figure stuff out and not knowing which way up was at the time. And, and piecing together the puzzle, I think, is a very human journey. I think that's part of what it is to be human, is to figure out what is your puzzle and how do you put it together. Um, my philosophy that came along the road of figuring all this out was learn it, live it, give it, which is what do I want to do with my life? Who do I want to be? Am I going to be the type of life that someone remembers I was here? Or am I going to be something that fades in the dust and no one really remembers. No one cares. No one, not, not something that ever made a dent in the universe in any way. And I decided at one point, I'm like, ah, oh, I, I want to make a dent in the universe somehow. I'd like to, I'd like to do something that matters. I'd like to do something that matters to my family. I'd like to do something that matters to the people closest to me. And, and then I started magnifying and multiplying that out into the, the space around me. And in the beginning, what that looked like when I didn't know this was my first job was blockbuster video as security. Why? Because I was old enough and big enough. Those were just two qualifiers that kind of landed me there. <laughs> uh, next job was in nonprofit work, which I absolutely loved. And I'm like, wow, this is a way you can make a dent in someone's world. Like, mm -hmm. do something that matters. Show up for homeless people. Show up for kids. Show up for people who need you in those moments and do something for them. Physical, tangible, make it like tangibly make a difference in their world. Paint a school, build a school. Uh, rebuild a house, repaint a house, put a cement floor in a house with a mud floor that people sleep in the mud three months out of the year because it's rainy season. Like putting that, putting that cement floor down helps that family avoid disease and sickness and all kinds of stuff that comes from sleeping in mud every night. And it's like all those things matter. So the nonprofit world, fast forward, it was like, well, what else do I want to do? And it's like, well, physically showing up and hands-on helping is awesome. And I'd like to have some money to be able to multiply my helping in, in another way beyond just physically being there. Like, could I have little soldiers working for me when I'm not there? They keep the good work going. They fund other people to be there and help keep working forward on good causes. And so I was figuring out, like, how do you make money? How do you have a business? What does that look like? And so I started a business, got into business for myself. It was a coaching practice, just coaching people one-on-one. -on -one. And it, it was kind of like a rowboat it went as fast as I could row and I could only row so fast. And I ran across a business mentor who said, Hey, if you ever want a chance at actually making a dent financially in the universe, you're going to need to upgrade your rowboat to a speedboat. Mm. And I was like, what in the world does that look like? And he's like, well, think of how hard it takes to get a rowboat to 25 miles an hour. And I started laughing. I'm like, is that even possible? I don't know if a rowboat goes 25 miles an hour. <laughs> and he's like, you'd have to row really hard. I'm like, I am rowing hard. And he goes, I know. That's why I'm showing you this analogy. And he said, how hard does it get a speedboat? Those cigarette boats, the long ones you see in Florida. He said, how long does it get a, take a cigarette boat to get to 100 miles an hour? He's like, not long if it's built with the right machine and the right engines. And he goes, how right. much effort does it take the driver to get it to go that fast? And really, truly, it's a push of your wrist. And I was like, wow, that's a whole different animal right there. Like my rowboat can only go as fast as I can physically muster up the energy to keep it moving. And if I stop rowing, the, the boat stops. It doesn't keep going. But that speedboat, you push down the handle and my goodness, this thing will go forever until it's out of fuel. And if you keep refueling it, it just keeps going. This is amazing. And so there's a transformation in business to go, ah, how do I, how do I become an actual business owner, not just a sole proprietor 
Mm-hmm. And how do, what does that evolution look like? And that was part of that transition. How do I build a well-oiled machine that actually can go somewhere quickly that doesn't take anywhere near the effort that the rowboat took in the beginning? And so that kind of brings me to where I am now. We're building our well-oiled machine. It's working. We're starting to move yep. very quickly. We're moving very efficiently, which is the other part, not just to move fast, but to move efficiently. Our business ran at 81% profit last month, and we had one of our top nice. months we've ever had in revenue. And I was like, wow. But six years ago, I was rowing a boat up a river, and, and my goodness, profit was something at the end of the year I, I didn't have a whole lot yeah. of. Yeah, you cross your fingers and hope. or well, I mean, you have an idea, but so... Let's talk about, because your wife and you both run the company together. I mean, she's obviously preoccupied at the moment. Um, My husband and I run one of our companies together. Talk a little bit about, I was going to ask you about masculine, feminine, and when you sort of started to understand masculine energy, and we'll get to that, but just when you bring up business. So there's quite a few couples that I'm seeing now are starting companies together. And do you, how long have you guys been doing that the whole time you've had the business or is it something new? Okay. So maybe talk a little bit about for the people who are couples who are running businesses, how you navigate, um, work hat and then husband hat. And, you know, if you want to speak for Amanda, go ahead, but talk a little, cause I know for us, I'm for sure alpha in business and Ken is more the beta. He's, tell me what to do and I'll do it, Kara. And I'll say, okay, because I feel stronger in that area. Um, but talk a little bit about that dynamic. Like, have you had to handle that yet? Or, yeah, just. Sure. Um, so we learned that same philosophy, learn it, live it, give it. We said, who can we learn from that would give us the best insight on how this really works? And so we made it a point, we went and did a research project where we started talking to couples who were working together, who had mm. started a business together, ran a business together, different things and then came together all different levels all different ages and stages and we learned there was two really passionate responses when you'd ask them do you do business together it was a hell yes or a hell no and it Mm. was really blatantly clear the instant you asked and we went wow okay so when we said the hell knows why And oh my gosh, they have lists and lists of all the reasons they will never work with each other again. And I was like, okay, so a million reasons why you won't work together. What about the hell yeses? What caused them to want to do this together? And it was very interesting hearing all the dynamics. And what I found was you had Alison Armstrong on last week, you said, or Mm -hmm. a show or two before this. Um, something she wrote about why people get into relationships in the first place made a big impact on if they wanted to work together or not. Um, she says that there's five, but mainly four reasons why people get into a relationship in the first place. Number one is companionship. They want to do everything together. Uh, number two is legacy, meaning us being together causes something else to be better in the future or beyond us. Uh, number three which was support, some, some balance of me supporting you, you supporting me, us supporting each other, some support uh, balance there. And then the third, the fourth was, what was it? Growth. She calls it karma or, or growth. Uh, we're here to grow. Either mm-hmm. I'm here to grow from you or you're here to grow from me. And that's the whole point of what a relationship is about. The fifth, she says it's more rare. They're never in an actual relationship, but they believe the purpose of a relationship is to put on this like, super amazing show, fireworks, fairy tale stuff. And they can only produce it so many times and then they're out of steam. And so they never actually last in a relationship. When looking at those four reasons why people get into a relationship, the most common theme we found was people who got into a relationship for companionship, wanting to do everything together all the time, oftentimes enjoyed doing business together as well because they wanted to do everything together. People who had a legacy-based thought process around business, like France marries England so that the children of the future world can continue. Nothing wrong with it. I laugh a little and chuckle. I use those examples because that was legacy. The legacy of the two countries were built on the daughter of one country and the son of the other marrying each other to keep the countries at peace. Um, It was built on something other than their love or likingness of each other. And and so those people tend not to do as well in business together from our research and what we found. And I was like, well, that's fascinating. Um, And and so the companionship support people, they tended to do pretty good in business. Sometimes 
the order of who supports who flip-flopped in the business versus their personal life. But they both understood the concept of support and they both want to support each other. Growth people, we didn't find a lot. We found companion and support were the two that we found in our little research study of asking people. Those were the two most common themes we saw that worked really well in the hell yes category. And so for us, what works for us is those are our two drivers. Um, companionship is our number one. We want to do everything together. Like my wife was teasing me one time. We went for a walk and she was talking the whole time. We got down and she looked at me with the sweetest little face and said, you think I'm in like, do you like listening to me? Is it okay if I talk on the walks like this? And I looked at her and I was like, you don't understand. Everything is better when you're there. Like business is better when you're here. Walking down the street is better when you're here. Taking a trip somewhere is better when you're here. Staying at home is better when you're here. Like I was trying to explain to her, we don't have to do anything. We could sit at home and do nothing and my brain would be exploiting with joy just because I share nothing with you. And she was like, really? I was like, yeah, that's what it feels like in my world. Now, what's interesting is I found that concept to exist in a lot of the people we studied that were the hell yes. Mm -hmm. They had a similar experience. To them, it was like, I couldn't imagine not being with this person all day. I, I had a friend of mine who started a nonprofit, Pencils of Promise. He built over 500 schools around the world in the last like six, seven years. Really amazing work he's done. Um, he said something to me. We were talking in an interview. And he says, you know, the hardest moment of every day I have is saying goodbye to my wife to have to go into the office all day and be without her for all those hours. He said, I'm really looking forward to a transition in my life at some point where I don't have to do that. Mm. I told him, I said, I work with my wife. We get to see each other all day, all night, every day. And he's like, that's got to be the coolest thing in the world to get to be with the one you love 24 hours a day. Wow. Now, to the people who worked really well, that was a dream to them. Mm -hmm. The people who did, where the hell knows, that was hell to them. <laughs> to, I mean, I love this person, but have to be with them 24 hours a day. My mm. God. Yeah. <laughs> if you feel that way, it's probably a good sign. You might not want to be working together all mm -hmm. the time. <laughs> yeah. It's because it it's overly can... simplistic, but you don't, right. you don't imagine how many people are having trouble working together. And in the back of their head, they're like, I can't believe he's still here or she's still there. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, if that's your thought process, go do something else. There's a lot yeah. of options in the world. <laughs> I know. It's because, it, I mean, Ken and I have been working together for six years on the other business. And we don't work in the same space. We work in different spaces of the house. But and we have fun because we, we get our marketing brains on and we, do, we have a content writing company. So we do a lot of creative things on that side. But, um, yeah. So talk a little bit about the transition now. So uh, let's go back a bit into childhood type of stuff. And, and, you know, I said, I touch on it earlier. So in my house, my mom was definitely more of the hunter, the more masculine. Um, and my dad was much more feminine and both my parents have passed now. And I, in hindsight, see so many things much clearer now. Um, thanks to all the personal development stuff I've done and the events I've gone to, et cetera. But talk a bit about who, if you had to categorize one parent or the other was more masculine versus feminine and who you maybe modeled more, that side of, cause you, you are a super, you know, hashtag woke man. I'm trying to sound like one of the youngins, but you're very conscious. Like it doesn't have, you're a very, you're a unicorn, right? I mean, not totally, but there's a lot of women who will listen and be like, no, nope, not my husband. And I've seen the things you've talked about in terms of filling up buckets for the wife and all that type of stuff. So we'll talk about that as well. But it's, it is quite unusual to be this conscious at your age. Um, but given the circumstance, tell, tell us a little bit about who you modeled after. Was mom more masculine? Was dad more in those, like when you were in your younger days? Sure. Um, so I remember I, I got whooping cough when I was a kid, which pulled me out of school for an entire year. And this was probably like third grade, fourth grade, maybe fourth grade. And my dad was working and my mom was working. So I spent the year at my grandma's house. Now, my grandma is 83 years old this year, and she still is one of the top earners in life insurance sales in her entire company. 
Wow. She was life insurance agent of the year in her company. She was on the cover of Newsweek magazine to represent life insurance as a whole at one point. She has the key to the city of Los Angeles. She's been businesswoman of the year in Los Angeles. If you walk into her office, she has a plaque from the ceiling to the floor across the whole wall of every company she's ever worked with as the number one person in there. Wow. And so spending time with grandma, she used to put a little suit on me and take me with her to appointments when she'd go south. She taught me how to present and sell unknowingly. Wow. She didn't mean to. She just, right. I saw what she did. I tried it. And she's like, oh, here, let him do some of it. And so that year of hanging out with grandma, I learned how to, I mean, I'm in third grade or fourth grade or something. I'm tiny. But we were looking envelopes and putting, uh, you know, sending out mailers to our clients and writing their names on envelopes to send her their birthday cards. Like I, I was helping grandma do her work and do all these little projects. And so- you know, some of her clients have fourth grade kid writing envelopes arriving, I guess. Well, I guess I learned good penmanship at that stage yeah. of life. Uh, it's a lost was, art now. Yeah, I was doing all those things at a very young age with grandma. So grandma is a kick-ass matriarch businesswoman of that side of my family. And, and she still continues to be to this day. I, I tease people. If I ever get invited to go do a training on performance for a sales team, I'll ask them, how many of you cold call at least three, four, five days a week where you pick up the phone and call someone you've never talked to before, a random number, just to try to introduce your service? And nowadays, young salespeople are like, why would you do that? Like, that's rude. Yep. Like, if I just called someone out of the blue, I'd be pissed. I'd be like, why are you calling me? Why are you even talking? My grandma still cold calls at least three days a week. Wow. So if you're not picking up the phone and dialing a random stranger to introduce your business concept to somebody at least three days a week, my grandma is kicking your ass. <laughs> That's amazing. So take, like, just think about that and yeah. figure out your business. Yeah. And so I have some powerful women in my family. Mm -hmm. My mom, uh, you know, when, when I was young, my dad was building his career. My mom was building her career. They didn't have a whole lot. And so my mom used to, she found out that she could work all week. And on the weekends, one of my uncles used to sell all those things you see on TV from a sham wow to a greater to all those things at the swap meet in Los Angeles. And so my mom and I used to go on the weekends to a swap meet and she found out, she learned how to do this pitch from the little booth and people would come over and she'd sell them the super grader or she'd sell them a sham wow, super chamois or some stuff. And I used to sit behind the table and watch and she'd present and in a weekend she could make $3,000. And I'm like, wow, that's a good amount of money in a weekend for, for, wow, like you make more on the weekend at the swap meet than you do at work all week. Right. That, that's a big deal right there. Like that's a game changer financially for a family just starting out. And so my mom was also doing this. I'm like, well, that's incredible. And as I grew up, I was like, well, what do the guys in the family do? And my dad, he was out on the road selling his stuff that he does. And so I'd watch him and he'd get up and kind of like mom was presenting with her products. He was presenting with his products and services and he was doing his own version of that in his world. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. And so I, I started to notice I had a lot of balance between the women were able to do it and the men were able to do it. Not every woman and not every man in my family does it, but the ones that were close to me really did. My mom did, my dad did, my grandma did. And I was like, wow, there's lots of people doing this stuff really well. And, it, and, and not just doing it, but doing it well and really crushing it at what they did. And so I got to see that dynamic unfold and be like, this is really neat to see. Mm -hmm. And that was impressive to me. Um, and those would probably be the three people that I would model or, or be closest to. The rest of my family, I learned some things of what to do and some things of what not to do. The most beautiful thing that exists across the board in all of them is a huge heart and caring. All of them care about strangers for some reason. It's kind of a DNA blueprint of my family. I mean, they'll walk by a random stranger they don't know anything about. And if they're in need, they'll find a way to help them somehow, whether it's giving them a food card or buying them lunch or giving them a blanket or taking their sweatshirt off and handing it to somebody. My grandpa, uh, he was the sweetest. I just talked to him a few weeks ago and he's like, oh, this lockdown stuff is insane. He goes, there's this little man at church who's run out of money and he has three kids. And so his three kids put $100 each each month and give it to him. So he has a little bit of money. And he said, this little man's giving me every year $100 in my birthday card for, I don't know, at least 20 years. And he's like, so I don't have a whole lot, but I take $100 of my money and I add it to what his kids put in. So at least he's up to 400 now per month. And hopefully that's enough for his food. I was like, how sweet. Wow. 
Yeah. What a sweet gesture. Someone at church, he's like, well, I'm not giving it to my church right now, but I can at least give it to at least one of the members of the church. Right. Like, how cool. How yeah. cool. And so that theme is highly strung through. Um, there's another theme that exists in, in a lot of the men in my family that wasn't as great. And so what wasn't as great was their tempers. Mm. We had from my grandpa to my uncles, it just in all that side of my mom's family, there, there was some just volcanic level of tempers that they'd build and build and build and build and just explode. And whether that turned into bar fights or uh, physical aggression or, or any of these things that was there. And so there's layers of me learning of like, oh, giving is good. And then since I hung out for, with my grandma for the whole year and she was taking care of me, I also learned like tempers are bad. And I was like, oh, giving is good. Tempers are bad. <laughs> and I was like, interesting. So I'm learning all these little blueprints as a kid. And, you, and I'm picking these two on purpose. There's lots of other things I learned, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, but these two things were a big defining point of going, interesting. Because as a masculine man, aggression, strength, physical, I'm talking physical aggression, to escalate into physical aggression, I would pause and ask, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Right. Little kid me would say that's a bad thing. Why? Because physical aggression or bad tempers was something I was taught by grandma and other ladies in my family. Don't do that. Don't be like that. As I grew up, physical aggression was a bad thing. So playing football, wrestling, all these physical aggressive sports as a young man, I was a really generally a soft player, meaning I was physically big, but I was not using my full aggression. Cause I had learned it's a bad thing. You're not supposed to be aggressive. And so like I'd hit someone really hard and be like, Oh, sorry about that. And it was like, you don't say sorry in football. In Canada, <laughs> we do. In Canada, you might. Sorry. We say sorry, sorry about everything. Oh, sorry. Yeah. But that's not the point of being on the field. The point of being right. on the field is, is to be aggressive, to have fun, to give it your all. And they're giving it their all. And at the end you can, you can piss each other off on the field and then go have, you know, dinner afterwards together and laugh about it. Like you don't have to hate them, but you have it, aggressive is good. Right. And so all of a sudden my brain was like, wait a second, is aggressive good or aggressive bad? Like my grandma said, don't be aggressive. My coach is like, please be more aggressive. Not in those words. And I was like, okay, I'm confused. And so right around 14, I read a book called The Way to the Superior Man, yep. which is not about male superiority. Um, it's amazing. It's about masculine and feminine energy. And I went, interesting. I started to understand at 14, to as, full, as far as my 14-year-old brain could wrap its head around it, the concept of masculine and feminine energy. And going, oh, this is interesting. You know, and just looking at my life and saying, where am I exuding a ton of feminine energy and where am I exuding a ton of masculine energy? A friend of mine wrote a book called The Mask of Masculinity. Lewis Howes, yep. We and have he both talks those about books. that men need to take off their masculine mask and be more open, soft, expressive, yes. feel more. And I said, that's true for a guy from Ohio who grew up playing aggressive sports. That's not true for guys in California who grew up over talkative and emotionally overexpressive. And you might say, is there such thing? Ladies, is there such thing? I guarantee just about, not every woman, but just about every woman I've crossed paths with goes, there's definitely such thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. But let's talk about it. I need to, I, you need to understand how I feel about this, honey. And you're like, my gosh, come on. Let's just keep going. Make a fucking decision. Excuse my language. That's but okay. there's that feeling of like, stop talking, just do something, damn it. Yep. And, and, and stop asking me, what do I want? Know what I want and act on it. And, and that's and, what he, and he talks about that in the way of the superior man, right? Like we both read that and it's, we may like, to be pacified on, on a very superficial level, but underneath, we're not into it. We're not about it. We need you to make a decision. We need you to have your purpose. And that purpose can't be just me yeah. because that's, we view that as weakness. And again, yeah. I think a lot of women, we think up here, we're thinking, no, that's a good thing. But when you get into the core of the feminine divine, which is 
the whole purpose of this, of she's the owner. It's not like that anymore. It's, we need you to step up and show us their safety, show us all the things that we know represent masculine and feminine, but yeah. And not all women need to be feminine. Not all men need to be masculine. Now there's a huge pendulum shift that has happened in the world around us, specifically in the Western world, because of some very ignorant men. Yep. Meaning there was men who radically abused their power. Therefore, women said, I'm not going to stand for this anymore. I'm not going to take this nonsense. So they stood up and said, I'm going to become just as powerful in all the ways you're powerful or all the ways I perceive you to be powerful. Mm. And so they went and took all the things. They said, I, I can do business. I can do war. I can do fighting. I can do sports. I can do anything you can do. And I can do it damn better than you can. And they've proven it. And there's beauty in that. There's power in that. There's strength mm-hmm. and courage in that. And it's radically jacked up a lot of relationships. Yep. And it's like, oh. It's also made some relationships occur that probably would have never been there. So it's mm-hmm. opened up beautiful doors that didn't exist before. Both show up in every type of pendulum shift, good things and bad things, yeah. great things and things that are challenging. And so there's greatness that opened up in that. You know, if you go to places like Sweden, there's such a equality stance that exists there. The divorce rate is through the moon, uh, or it was a few years ago when I was talking to someone locally there who, who researches all this stuff. And they said, it, it's so different. I had a friend who moved from Estonia to Sweden to go to university. When she got there, in Estonia, men are masculine, women are feminine, very traditional, um, very traditional roles, very traditional behaviors and relationships. A man would generally open a door for a lady, this kind of stuff. In Sweden, that is not the case. Yep. She went yep. to go walk into a building and a guy had reached forward and grabbed the handle and she like waited for him to open the door for her because that's what they do or she was doing. And he opened the door, walked inside and let the door shut and she went, oh, oh, oh. like I'm right here. You didn't see me. You know, he like he saw her and said, get the door yourself and walked right through. Equality. Right. There it is. <clears throat> and then fast forward, she went to university, met a man, they fell in love, they got married. He happens to be a banker who travels around the world. Um, she's, she's way over university now. He went to the States on this business trip. He came, home, he came home and he brought her, he surprised her and bought her this fancy little purse bag thing that she, he thought she would like. Super fancy little purse. She gets it and was like, oh, this is so beautiful. Thank you so much. Takes it to lunch or brunch with her girlfriends. And she's sitting there and they go, wow, what a cool little bag. Where did you get it? And she says, my husband got it for me on the trip. And their response was, wow, you're going to let him do that to you? She was like, do what to me? Mm -hmm. Basically tell you you can't afford it or do it on your own. And she was like, that was not the, what I took away from this. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I took away the fact that he was thinking about me on a trip and cared enough to find me something he thought I would like, which was accurate, and bring it home to me and say, look, I got you something. I don't right. care if it's a purse or a tree or a pen. Like, I don't know. He just cared. It was beautiful that he cared about me. Yep. And the psychology of the local environment was like, no, he's degrading you. He's right. basically telling you, you can't get it on your own because he has to get it for you. Yep. And I was like, wow, this is where that pendulum goes. Yep. And there's, there's a lot of women who have a, his shelf and a her shelf. Mm-hmm. They shop for their own groceries, even though they're married and live in the same house. Right. Equality. Don't yep. touch my mayonnaise. <laughs> but the, the funny part, not the funny part, even the sad part about that is that there's a lot of women in the thirties in going into their forties now single who are saying all the good men are taken. They're all assholes. Fuck them. I don't want to, the whole narrative is this, um, and I grew up, like I was talking about this, I grew up in the 80s. So for me, it was, you know, Knott's Landing, Dynasty, Falcon Crest, all these powerful, very wealthy women who are not kind women, who are very masculine, even though they were dripping with all this stuff. But women now in that category, we, I can't tell you how many times I hear, oh, all the good ones are taken. And it's like, no, I mean, if in my experience, what I've seen is that if you, if you kind of go up against a man trying to be an, a man as well, Alpha men, mature masculine men, 
will be kind to you, but they're not going to court you because you're too much for them. And that's truly how this whole thing started was last year I was single um, after three years of separation from my husband. And I started to wonder like, what's going on here? Like, why am I not meeting anybody? And then I, I went to date with destiny actually. And I really understood it at that level where I was showing up in this deep hunter mentality. I was a single mom. I was a single mom in my younger days too. Everything I did, I did on my own, but that doesn't translate well into a loving, healthy relationship. Any, it just doesn't because I'm, it's a pissing contest and that's not, there's no romance. There's no polarity in that. Right. So talk, I know we're, we're getting close what, to the what end. You just pointed out is really important. It's a competition instead of a partnership. Right. And that'll never yeah. work. No. So no. I always look at how it's a horrible place to look at relationship advice, but it's a great place of a lot of examples of what not to do. If you look at Hollywood around relationships, generally when two mega superstars fall in love, quote unquote, um, one, it could just be for press and eyeballs. I don't know, yep. but I'm sure they produce all kinds of stuff beyond movies just to get attention. Let's say it's real love. If they're two superstars, these are people who are in competition with each other and others. How do I know that? They, they, they relocated themselves in, from wherever they grew up to Hollywood. They've competed against everyone else's there to finally get a prime position in one of their shows or movies or whatever they're doing. And then they're constantly competing and evolving to try to be the absolute premium and best brand and personality and all this stuff to maintain their career as who they are in Hollywood. That is a competitive environment. Yeah. That means they're in competition even with their spouse for roles and movies and income because it's a competitive landscape. They're fighting against each other to try to be the best or to try to maintain relevancy. Because if he's in the magazine, that means she's not in the magazine. Right. If she's in, that means he's not. Like there's only one magazine spot that month. Someone needs to take it for their brand. So there's a competition that transpires. And it's really interesting that most Hollywood relationships don't end up working out too well. And they don't last very long either. Mm -hmm. And then you look at, but are there some that do? There's some Hollywood romances that go the distance. And then you look at it, you go, well, what's the difference? And the difference is partnership. Right. Partnership is a choice. It's saying, hey, I'm choosing to be this person's partner. I'm going to row one oar, they're going to row the other oar, and we're going to row our boat in the same direction. We're going to choose to go to the same direction, and we're going to choose to participate as partners, supporting each other, helping each other, assisting each other, being on the same team. I'm like, this is really interesting. And you start to read books and relationship advice where it comes through the concept, I think it was John Gottman talks about doors and windows. Most people have, when they get pissed at their partner, they put up a, a wall between them and their partner and they open a window between them and their friends and they start yakking away at all the stuff that's going wrong and blocking out the person. And they're like, no, 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 no. You need to put the wall up to everyone else in the world and you need to open a window between you and your partner and have dialogue to work through. I went, oh, damn it. How many times have I or you or anyone been upset about something and gone and told someone who was sitting next to us how upset we were. And we opened a window while simultaneously putting up a wall between us and our spouse. Yep. And I went, oh, that's a bad idea. And as I said, no, you know, I, I learned to put up a big old wall between me and everybody else. And there's a huge window. I just broke the window and left it open full time between me and my wife. Everything, constant dialogue, constant communication there. And I'm like, so that is such an easy concept to understand. And it's sometimes very difficult to put into practice because hmm. it's real easy to just vent out at somebody of how something's not working the way you want it to. Right. But research shows the longer you have a wall up between you and your spouse and a window open to someone else, the more likely it's going to deteriorate and fall apart. Yep. So I always ask this of, cause I have a ton of coaches on the show, men and women. Do you think it's necessary to have both partners in a relationship have some level of understanding? And so let's say you're the coach and your wife is a lawyer and she's never done one day of personal development and you are always trying to sort of get to that same language. Do you think that's important? Do you think there's a point where um, a couple may be, you know, at the end of it because one's just unwilling to work through and, and start to develop in some way or grow in some way? Or do you think it's possible for the 
you know, one side to really help lift up the whole relationship and, and show them. I mean, often we're told if I do the thing, then eventually people around me are going to see it and want to know what that's about. You know, we're always told after every event, don't go home and try and change everybody, just be the change. And then eventually people will sort of come into it. Um, do you think that's true of couples or is there a point where it's like, you know what, I, I got to keep growing. And if you can't share sure. with me. So let me change the paradigm. Let me change the example or the, the metaphor we're using there. If each person has three buckets, bucket number one says I am enough. Bucket number two says I have enough. And bucket number three says I'm loved enough. If your goal is to try to get those things from your partner to fill your own mm -hmm. bucket, eventually you're going to drain your partner and they're going to have nothing left. And then you'll need to go somewhere else to find it. If you're trying to feel like I am enough through your relationship, eventually you will drain your partner and have to go somewhere else to find worthiness of feeling like you're enough. If yeah. you feel like I finally have enough because I'm in a relationship, you're going to drain your partner and have to go find something else to make you finally feel like you have enough in life. If you feel like I'm finally loved enough because of your relationship, you're going to have to eventually go somewhere else to you know, drain your partner and they're not going to have any more to give you. The purpose of relationship is to go to the give, which mm. means you need all three of those buckets filling up every day and overflowing every day so that you can share that with your partner. Yes. They need a partnership commitment of saying, I'm going to fill my own buckets every day so that I'm pouring over into you as well. And then it becomes a beautiful dance of each other pouring into each other's buckets, constantly helping them feel like they are enough, they have enough, and they loved enough. And they're constantly pouring to you for you to feel like you are enough, you have enough, and you loved enough. That game is how you win. You need to per both have rituals that fill up your own buckets and then overflow into each other to create that excess abundance, and then it overflows into the community around you. The bigger problem is if one person's participating and the other person's not, what's generally happening is if one person's buckets are full and overflowing and the other person's whole relationship depends on just soaking some of it out of their bucket, eventually that might lead to an empty bucket scenario, which means they're going to run dry and they'll have to go get it somewhere else. So then they go get it from their kids. They go get it from their business. They go get it from their family. They go get it from their friends. They go get it from something they do in the world that makes them feel full in those areas. But that's the basic foundation in a relationship. If a person doesn't feel like I am enough, I have enough, I'm loved enough, you get some real peculiar behaviors out of them to try to make hmm. themselves feel that way. But when they feel like they are enough, they have enough and they're loved enough, just in the being of who they are, without the clothes they wear, without the jewelry they have, without the job title, without the cars, without the house, without anything else. They just, yep. I am enough, I have enough, I'm loved enough. If they feel as the being they are fills those buckets, you get a beautiful human in society. When those aren't full, you get some weird, you know, some funky behavior. <laughs> Um, thank you for that. That was a beautiful way to put it. Um, and it's, it's, it is a hundred percent true. And I think the, the thing that I witnessed is that a lot of people don't stop to think of it as they're, they need to fill up first. And I always say I have four daughters and I always say a man or woman is a bonus to what you've already got going. It's not a, because I don't have enough because then it's a, it's a train wreck after, and it may look good in the beginning, but and, and I mean, three of my daughters are adults. And so they've all been and are in relationships. And, you know, that was something I had to shift with them because I, I didn't understand that concept raising them until now, even masculine, feminine, I raised them all to be these strong women who didn't need a man. And now they're all strong women who are, and they have issues. And so now I've come back and I've said, listen, mom got it wrong. And it's really about being in your heart. Um, and then you execute the thing that you've created in your heart. That's where you go back into your hunter mode in your mind. And that's where you execute. It's not where you should live on a regular basis. So we're, we're getting close to time. Um, where can, what, what's next for you? What's, I mean, obviously being a dad is going to, I know you have bath time at a specific time. I love it. Um, but what's next in terms of business and, and all that type of thing? What's next for you? Um, it's continuing to do what we do. Beautiful. So we're, we're not trying to do anything different than, than the path we're on. Um, our, our path is simple. We help small business owners and entrepreneurs avoid heart attacks, divorces, and bankruptcies. Mm. We help them transition and be happy, you know, happy, flourishing relationships with uh, healthy, happy, strong, and fulfilled as a personal place in there as well. 
um, at some point, I, I think it might be fun to just create a relationship program for people. Just yeah, I've been absolutely. studying it for five, six, 11 years now, 11, maybe 11 years. Um, it's one of my favorite topics in the world. And it, it's such a juicy topic. I was talking mm -hmm. to my friend who works with Allison and raising your children and your intimate relationship are two of the areas that have the most sparks and the most dynamic emotional like swings in those environments and it's a place it's that true. people have the most amount of opinions about mm -hmm. and what i found is it doesn't have a ton of research as much as a ton of opinions mm -hmm. and so when i listen to people's conversations one thing i've learned to ask is where is your research from on this and if it's from someone who sat on a hill and had an epiphany one day and wrote a book about it, don't get me wrong. That's cool. It might be very useful, but I like to follow the research. And so I, I try to seek out groups that have tangible research that's backed up with empirical data that shows, hey, here's what works and here's doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, Allison is one of those people. She's been researching for 19 something years about relationships. Uh, John Gottman, he's one of my favorite like technical scientific groups. They have 30 years or over 30 years of research on over 3,000 couples that have said scientifically proven, here's the seven things. If you do these consistently, it works. If you screw these seven things up, it falls apart it eventually. Work. Right. And it, people are like, could it be that easy? Really? I mean, only those seven things? <laughs> like, yeah, it's with 30 years of research on 3,000 couples of all different genders, mixes, religions, backgrounds, types, show. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit. Okay. And it takes some of the Western, uh, I don't even know the right word. We like to create a fairy tale, a, a mystical, magical, romantic kind of landscape and veil we look through at relationships. And all those things are wonderful. I love those things. And it takes some of that away because now it's saying like, no, no, here's the seven steps. Follow these consistently. And for the majority of the time, as long as other things match up, it'll go really well. It's like, well, where's the magic? Where's the spark? Where's the love? Where's the, I, it just felt right in my gut. And that's what made this all work. It's like, ah, there's like a structure and a form, which tends mm -hmm. to be very masculine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm even so, like a bit like, hmm, that sounds very, like it does. It sounds like there's yeah. all the goody and the juicy bits are out. If it's like a list of seven, yeah. that, how do you but navigate that? the truth that? is, there are little things. How you do those things is where all the magic is. Okay. The seven things are very masculine. It's seven steps, turning towards, understanding their world, having a positive intent. They're very simple things. How you do those things is right. where the beauty comes in. That's where the heart comes in. Exactly. That's where the magic, that's where the feminine brings it to life and transforms the world into like, whoa, mm. this is cool. That's where that energy comes in. But the seven things are the seven things. Right. And they're very clear. And it's like, you practice it, you get it right. You don't practice it, you get it wrong. Yeah. And people don't like to hear that, um, <laughs> especially not in the Western world that we romanticize relationships. In the Eastern world, they have a philosophy that two ice cold pots of water come together and learn how to boil over time. Mm. In the Western world, it's two roasting, boiling hot pots of water come together and slowly simmer down to a, a nice cold right. two pots that's generally the philosophy of how the relationships quote unquote work. Hmm. And so I said, well, wait a second. Could I be like a boiling pot of water that learns how to boil forever? <laughs> and that's where the work comes in. That's where right. the seven steps and the commitment and the constant learning and applying all make the difference. Um, what, what doesn't work is when you just hope, Hey, if we find each other and it boils, right, it's going to boil forever. Yeah. You, you got to put work in. It'll slowly simmer down to an ice cold pot. Yeah. Um, that's why I like the Eastern philosophy of two people coming together, ice cold, don't know anything about each other. They're set up by their families. They come together, but through time with practice and effort, they learn how to boil together. And I was like, wow, that'd be a lot more helpful for most people who struggle with relationships. Mm -hmm. Find someone where it might be just a friendship or a cold pot of water and learn how to boil together. Learn how to make it spicy. Learn how to make it exciting. Learn how to make it beautiful through effort and right. practice and time instead of finding the one that causes all your hormones and chemicals to go crazy and then trying to figure out how to hold on to that for dear life 
Or you could, I mean, argue too that if you find that and the chemistry is there, then you implement the other. It doesn't necessarily mean that exactly. that can't be there. But, and I think, I do think that's important for sure for women. We can't be lukewarm about a guy and hopefully one day be scorching hot for a guy. Generally speaking, we do need to see that, feel that chemistry. But I think we have this expectation that it's going to be that way forever without any effort because you exactly. made my you know, you made me happy and, and feel things in the beginning. But um, I do think there that we do have to feel something for sure. But it, it seems like we do kind of just go, well, it's, it was like this 20 years ago. Why isn't it like this now? Well, because you're not doing any of the work. The you thing know, that'll that's break the that paradigm don't like. as well is we don't realize that scientifically proven through all the research, the number one reason why people get into relationships is proximity, being mm. around each other. And so what's happening, we're playing a psychological and emotional and chemical game in our own body mm-hmm. where you see someone in the beginning, you're like, they're okay. Or they're kind of interesting, but not my type. And if you spend enough time around them, you start looking at them going, but they are really sweet. And they do remember this about me. And that is kind of nice. And we don't realize we're creating all of those chemicals in our own body. Now, this is different. Instant attraction. Like you walk by someone. Yeah. Now, I've learned so, someone told me something and I started laughing. They, it was a comedian. And he says, if you ever want to like really throw a world woman around, just for, he said for fun, he's a comedian making a joke. He said, walk by a random woman, stop, look her straight in the eyes and go, wow, you are stunning. Then look away and just walk away. And he goes, that's what every woman wants. The ability that she chose an outfit that literally stuns a man, like a stun gun. He can't move. He can't think he's stunned because of the outfit she brought on. That's, that's the power. And I started laughing. I asked my wife, I said, is that true? He's like, yeah, it probably works. (laughs) It probably would. Oh boy. And, yeah. and, and so there's this element, there's instant attraction. We're like, mm-hmm. you see someone and go, whoa. And Allison says, every woman wants her man's wow. Right. Meaning when she gets ready to go out, she walks into the room and goes, how do I look? And he goes, wow. Yep. Like, and if she doesn't get his wow, she's going to want someone's wow throughout that night. So she's going to try from friends or family or maybe even a stranger to get a wow because she wants her wow. Now, like, these are things that are interesting, mm-hmm. but that's a behavioral habit. Once I know that as a husband, I go, oh, I didn't right. know I had a powerful wow inside of me. You now do. I know how I can give that gift to my wife when she goes and, and does anything. She comes to the room and I go, wow. She goes, what? I said, you look stunning. She goes, oh, really? I go, yeah. She's like, no. I just woke up and I'm like, I know it's amazing. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, those words have a lot of power. They do. And so I've learned these are tools that I can express myself in a way that means the world to her. Right. And that's part of the work. Yep. To become aware of that and go, Oh, now I can't do the same thing every day. This is where men's brains kind of screw us (laughs) because we go, Oh, I now know the secret to all women. Wow. You (laughs) look stunning. Wow, that looks great. Now, if you say that shit every damn day, there's this consistent thing that happens for women where they say, I was single. When we dated, he was so much fun. But now that we're in a long-term relationship, he's boring. He doesn't Mm -hmm. want to do anything. Because men put on a whole damn show to try to get a woman. Yeah. You want to go on a trip? Love to go on a trip. Want to go on an adventure? Love to go on an adventure. Want to take me somewhere? I'd love to take you somewhere. Because we're so excited to try to get this person. And then once we have them, do you want to go on a vacation? That's really expensive. We don't have that budget right now. They're like, oh, what the hell? You wanted to go on a vacation when we weren't sleeping together. Right. <laughs> Why doesn't you want to go on a vacation now? And I'm like, ooh, these are the presentations that we do to try to get each other. Peacocking. That's what it is. And it it works both ways. Yeah. You know, totally. And I call it a bait and switch. Mm -hmm. You behave in ways that you're never going to behave again just to get them. And then once you have them, you switch it up and start behaving like you always behave. And 
you become boring. And I've talked to a lot of women that go, yeah, once we were married, it got real boring. He didn't want to do anything. Now on the reverse side, I talked to men and I said, what do I have to do? The most amazing human in my entire world is right here. Why would I go anywhere else? And it's like, oh, the only reason they were doing all that stuff was to try to spend time with this person that rocked their world. Now that they can spend time with this person, why would they want to do anything else? It's like, wow. And you start to unfold. And this comes through research. This comes through listening and talking. I think one of the biggest factors going back, though, is I've always asked people, where do you do your research when you start spewing out relationship advice? Mm -hmm. And most people lack any heavy research. Doesn't mean I don't trust them. Doesn't mean I don't listen. I just filter that in the, ah, this is the unresearched pile of advice. <laughs> it could work. Yeah. But I don't know. If someone gave you a, a little elixir, a little tube or something and said, drink this, it'll cure the coronavirus. I'm like, okay, what laboratory was that built in? <laughs> like what research, who have you tested this on? How many people have tested this? Did one person test it or did 10,000 people test it? How many of those died? Who got hives? Who got chicken pox? Like what happened to these people? Right. I want to know that about advice. Yeah. Someone's like, oh, I read a book that said men have Peter Pan syndrome and he sounds like a Peter Pan to me. Really? What laboratory did that come out of? How many people was that tested on? For how long? And what were the results? Did all these women happen to be single after reading this book forever and never able to find a man? Ah, that sounds like not the laboratory advice I'd like to follow if right. I'm looking for a long-term relationship. And so categorizing information and sorting it, again, it doesn't mean cutting friends down or not listening, just sorting, non-researched information, effective to stay single information. Ah, this is useful for when the relationship to make it last. Ooh, good dating tips. I know Allison has a program right now she's launching for singles. Mm, yep. And I was like, that's cool. She's a good person with a lot of research that can help single people figure that out. Oh, crap. Sorry. I just look at the time. I know. I you, went, you were going. I was like, I'm not I stopping it. I know. One of my favorite topics. Um, where can people find you if they want to connect? I know you're on Instagram. I'm and on Instagram. I, okay. I post stuff every day. My, my purpose of my Instagram is just to help people who need it at the moment they need it with the message they need. So we try to pump out good thoughts Beautiful. every day in order to find them when they need it most. Awesome. I have other questions. So I'm going to have to invite you back when you have more time at another, you know, maybe when the baby's a bit older or whatever, but, um, cause you got me thinking about the friend zone cause that's a real thing. It is. It's a real thing. So anyway, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. I know, um, being a new parent is tough and you've got stuff to do. And so I really appreciate you coming on and I will talk to you soon. Hopefully. So welcome. So beautiful. Welcome. All right. Thanks, Derek. See you later.